all a good morning. It's really good to see you. Glad you're here. Um, I know this is the last week of school, and uh, I know it's terrible for the kids, and uh, it's awful. But uh, we had uh, Ramrock Christian Academy's graduation in here yesterday. Thirty-two graduates stepped out, and it was a neat, uh, neat thing. Full house yesterday for that. It was great. Hey, uh, you know, I, I've learned that it doesn't matter how much, how many ways there are to communicate, whether it's uh, text or Facebook or Instagram or, or YouTube, or whatever it may be, uh, somebody will still say, man, I didn't know that. And so uh, it's, it's sometimes it's just hard to know exactly every way. But, uh, you know, these chairs that we're in now, I don't, I don't know when we got these. We, we got these uh, last year or so. And uh, they're, they're great, but, but I always want you to know that whatever we are able to replace, we're able to bless other congregations with. So I want, I want to show you this. These are uh, our brown chairs that you used to sit in for worship. They are now at uh, Terra Nova Church in Georgetown. Uh, Kyle Cheatham is the pastor there, and so they just kind of a way for us to bless them with those. But I, I wanted you to see them because you used to sit in some of those chairs. And uh, so uh, it's just a blessing. So whenever you think of Terra Nova Church, just uh, you lift them up or you think of our seats, just pray blessings over them. So that's where they are. And so thank you for your obedience in that area. In fact, uh, you know, uh, this building is, what, 22 years old? I don't know, something like that. And uh, we've had several different chairs come through here, and we've been able to bless congregations all over uh, at least all over Texas. So I, I just wanted you to, to see that today. Yesterday, uh, several of you, along with Pam and I, we were part of the 6K, the World Vision 6K. And uh, that was fun to go out and do and to see. There was over 300 people came out there, just churches from all over the area to come and be a part of that. It was a neat, neat experience uh, just to be there for that. But it made me think about something. And I, I just want to prep uh, opening God's Word with this today. I'm reminded of the story of, of the dad who had a son that was a cross-country runner, and he was going to be running in the state meet. And uh, the, the dad, had, had a, he loved his son immensely. He wanted his son to do well. One of the things he, he would always do would be to yell on encouragement to his son. He would coach him. He would encourage him, whatever he could do. But he had a thought for the state meet, is that he would take four of his friends, and he brought these four friends together, these these dear friends of his, and he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, when, when uh, at the start of the race, he said, I will be there, and I will be yelling for my son. I will be yelling his name. I will be yelling encouragement. You, you do your best. You can do this. It's in you. You've trained. And, and I, would, I would set him off in that tone. But I can't be everywhere along the three-mile route, so uh, I, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to disperse yourself along the racetrack, and when you see my son coming, you just do what I've done. You use your voice to represent me, to yell out to my son, encourage him, keep going, you can do this, you can finish the race. And then the next guy would do the same, and the next guy until he came to the finish line, and the dad said, what I will do, I will be there at the beginning, and I will go all the way to the end, and I will be at the finish line when he's coming just to yell out encouragement, you can do this, you can do it, you can do it. And the son, along the route, every time he would hear the voice, he would hear the encouragement and just keep on going. You know, that story reminds me of life for many of us. 
You know, we get started, especially in our faith walk, and we get started and we're encouraged and we, we, we go, but sometimes we need other voices to come along. We need somebody else just with the voice of the Father to come and say, you can do it. You can make it. Just be encouraged. Go at it. Go at it. Go at it. Finish strong until we get to the end of the line to hear our Heavenly Father say, well done, good and faithful servant, my son, come on in to the joy of your kingdom. And here's, here's the deal. My prayer is, is that when we gather or, or you come into a small group or you come into, uh, some kind of gathering with other Christ followers, that you're getting words of encouragement that you can do it. Some of you need to know that today. Some of you are just wanting to pull the car to the side of the road and just quit because life has gotten hard. Let's be honest. Life is hard. There's sometimes it's just, it's just difficult. And we need somebody, we need the voice of the Father, the encouragement of the Father to come and say, you can do it. And so today I want to tell you, you can do it. Be encouraged. Let the wind be in your sails. Finish strong. I know you're going to have certain obstacles along the way, but you can make it. You can make it. And so I want to encourage you with that as we open God's Word. Now grab your Bible or grab your device. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 9 today. Luke chapter 9. Verse 28, I want you to stand with me as we read God's Word. So stand with me. And I want to read, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to break open God's Word. I, I want you to know that, that uh, we open God's Word because it is God's Word. This isn't just some ba- a book. It's not just paper and ink on, on leather bound. It is the Word of God. Verse 28 in Luke chapter 9. It says, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, or my beloved one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Join me in prayer. God, we come before you because, Lord, we know that only you can touch and change lives. Lord, only you can meet the deepest needs of the heart. Only you are the answer to the many things that we want to chase after today. Lord, in this room are are just dear friends and family. And Lord, I am praying that you would reveal yourself, Lord. Reveal yourself through your word. Reveal yourself just by your spirit to us. Father, that we may know so that when, Lord, when we walk off of this campus and we enter the mission field, we will be different. People will know we've been with Jesus. They'll know that we have experienced you, and we want a desperate, seeking world to know you. 
So, Lord, empower us now. I pray encouragement as we open your word deeper. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let's, uh, let's break this apart a little bit. We're in a series called Mountaintops. For you that are guests, we've been looking at the different mountaintop experiences throughout the scriptures and seeing how God used the mountaintop experiences to change the, what happens in the valleys. And today we look at the ultimate of Jesus going up on the mountain. Let me give you a little bit of biblical background so that you, are, uh, uh, you, can, you can process this correctly. You know, the scripture says, after eight days of these sayings. Well, what are these sayings that he, he's talking about? Let me give you a picture if I could. In the northern part of Israel, there's a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is about as far north as you can go in Israel. Herod built it, but it was a very pagan city. They, they worshipped pagan gods, especially the god of Pan there. And uh, it, was a, it was a very paganistic place. Jesus took the disciples up there, his 12 disciples, and he asked them this question. He said, who are people saying that I am? And some said, they're calling you Elijah. Some say you're the prophet. Some, you know, they came up with different answers. And then he, then he turned it on them. But who do you guys say that I am? You're the ones closest to me. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, who, who was always at the forefront of speaking, he said, you are the Son of God. You are basically the Messiah. You're the one that we have been waiting for, the King of all kings that is to come. And Jesus said, very good, Simon, son of John. Barjona is what it actually, actually says, which is son of John. Very good, Simon, that the flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but this came from the Spirit of God. Now, he did that right in the most pagan area. I mean, he was attacking everything that was going on there when Jesus asked that question. Who do you say that I am? And then what happened is, is after Peter made that statement, Jesus begins to, to talk to them about that his impending suffering and death was going to be coming. Now, the twelve who had put all their eggs in this basket to follow this rabbi known as Jesus, they believed that he was the king, that he just made that declaration. He's saying now that he's going to go and, and his life, suffering is going to happen, he is going to die. Of course, the Simon, the same one who had said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, now he comes and says, oh, don't talk that way. And Jesus has to rebuke him. Get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're saying. And, and he rebukes the one who had just declared, how fickle is mankind, right? We say that, Jesus, I love you. And then the next day we're living like we, he doesn't exist. But this is what they're, they're going. And then Jesus says this. He says, anyone who wants to be my disciple, be my followers. You need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow after me. And he says, you, you are to serve. And, and so these are the teachings. These are these sayings that are building up to these eight days later that we're talking about. I believe that this took place on a place called Mount Hermon. There's a little bit of a discussion as to what mountain. The reason I buy into that it was Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is actually the highest point in Israel, which is in the north. So it makes sense just to go from Caesarea Philippi to that area. In fact, the only place you can ski in all of Israel today is on the top of Mount Hermon. But on, on the top of this mountain, they go up to the top and he takes the first team. I call them the first team because they're mentioned the most. Jesus seemed to want them. And I don't know if it was their capacity for discernment or whatever, but he took Peter, James and John with him to the top of this mountain. And as he's there, Peter, James and John are exhausted. They fall asleep. 
There's this picture, uh, 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 there's this incredible setting where Jesus is there, Elijah shows up, Moses shows up, I'll, I'll explain that in just a moment, and then what happens is, is that Jesus is transfigured, He's, His glory all of a sudden shines, His inner glory comes forth, and uh, Peter, James, and John wake up, they, there's a cloud that descends, a voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. And then all of a sudden, it's clear again. And only Jesus is left. It's an incredible story. And uh, what I want to do just for a minute, I want to take it from the different characters' perspective in the story. Uh, first of all, let's look at uh, how Peter, James, and John would have seen this scenario. You see, what happened was, is they had to be totally confused. They had to feel like they're hopeless all of a sudden. They kind of were thinking, did we make a mistake here in following Jesus? This is, there's got to be a mistake here. For him to be talking about this, and here we are up on this mountain, they were physically exhausted. They were trying to figure out this whole thing. And uh, all of a sudden, here they are. And they fell asleep. But there's a, there's a scripture that says this right there. It says, when they became fully awake. I'd, I'd be curious to know how God woke them up. Was it, was it a, a nudge of some sort? Was it a push of some sort? Somehow they woke up and they became fully awake and they see the glory of God. Now, glory is not a word. We, we sing about it. We don't understand it very much. But let me try to explain what was going on here. Um, Luke uses a different terminology than Matthew and Mark do, but it's because of their audience. Luke was uh, talking to a very pagan uh, uh, Greek audience, and if he used the word transfigure like the others do, it would have been confusing for his audience. So, but Matthew and Mark use a word called transfigured, and, and we've heard that before, Mount of Transfiguration. What does that really mean? The transfigure comes from a word that we have called metamorphosis, Right? Metamorphosis is what a caterpillar turning into a butterfly or a tadpole turning into a frog. You know, the tail disappears, the legs come, and, and there's all of a sudden, why, why did this happen? It, it, it's like all of a sudden what was inside of them becomes outside. The opposite of metamorphosis is a word called masquerade, right? Masquerade is when you put something on the outside, a mask or a dressing, and the, and the inside is not the same. So I'm, I'm, uh, hopefully I'm teaching you something here. But the metamorphosis, what happened with Jesus on the mount is this, is who he truly was on the inside as the son of God now displays itself through this earth suit. You, you hear what I'm saying? Who he really was comes forth and he shone in such a majestic way. And you see it other sightings through Scripture, and in the book of Revelation, you see it even more. But what happens is, is this internal glory of God now displays itself on the top of the mountain. And they see that. Man, can you imagine all of a sudden they had been questioning, questioning. We're losing hope. We're losing confidence. He just said he's going to die. And then all of a sudden they see the glory of God. All of a sudden, their hopes are lifted, and they become fully awake. And then all of a sudden, this cloud falls upon them. And the cloud always in the Scriptures represents the presence of God. And the cloud comes, and it overshadows them. And all of a sudden, there's this voice that comes out of it, and it says, This is my beloved Son, 
in whom I am well pleased, listen to him. It's a blessing of the Father upon the Son for the sake of the disciples. To hear that, listen to what he's saying. The word listen here doesn't mean hear with your ears. It means listen to the point of putting it into action. You haven't heard until you do it. Okay? And so that's what he is saying. And then all of a sudden, the vision or, or, or the, the whole scene changes. And the only thing left is Jesus only. And I think the picture there is that, listen, Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, all that is needed is Jesus. All that Moses did pointed to Jesus. All that Elijah did as a prophet pointed to Jesus. And now he is among you. He is the real deal. If you're wondering about Jesus today, if you just think he was a good teacher, you think he was a good moral example, he may have been those things. But that's not why he came. He was God in the flesh. And he came to give his life for mankind. So all of a sudden, Peter, James, and John have this picture of all of a sudden, they have got to be encouraged. But let's look at it from Jesus' standpoint just a moment. Jesus, who had been limited in this earth suit. In fact, I want to read Philippians 2 for you right quick. You can... You can jot it down and read it later. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now get this. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What Jesus did, he left all the glory to be confined in an earth suit like ours. And then all of a sudden, the father reminds him, this is who you truly are. His glory comes forth in an incredible way. And we see he had felt all of the struggle of humanity. And now all of a sudden, his glory once again is revealed. And Elijah and Moses are with him. As I said earlier, Elijah represented the prophets. Moses represented the law. And they're talking to him. This is interesting. They're talking to him, the literal translation, they're talking to him about his exodus. In other words, they're talking to him about what the suffering he's about to have, the cross he's about to go through, and his eventual departure to go back into glory. And I think what is going on, because I I don't know, we don't know all that took place, but I have to believe that Moses is telling Jesus, listen, Jesus, all of the law, everything I taught, everything I got on Mount Sinai that I brought down to the people, it was pointing to you. And I think Elijah would say, listen, everything that God revealed to me as the prophet, everything that he gave to me is, is in you. And all of a sudden, it all points to Jesus. And so, Jesus, what you are about to go through on the cross, this is what you came for. You came for mankind to take the sin of the world. And all of a sudden, it's all pointing that way. And I think they were they had to be encouragement in that. And Jesus, in his humanity, needed that at that time. And then, all of a sudden, there's this voice out of the cloud... It would have been very similar. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized, that he came up out of the water, a dove descended upon him, and it said this, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you remember that? I mean, it was a father's blessing 
upon his son. And uh, I believe that this is a blessing that he is giving upon his son, but for the sake of Peter, James, and John to hear it. I'm big on blessings. Uh, I, I just believe that they're important. I, I, I want to speak blessing over my kids. I want to speak blessing over people. And I think there's a, a, a particular way that, that uh, brings power to it. And, and moms and dads, you have that power within yourself. I think there's something about the touch. I think even the cloud here represents the touch of the Father upon the Son. And, and what he speaks, he, he speaks uh, of something of the character of his Son. And he affirms his love for his son. And then he speaks about what he sees can happen through the son. In other words, you look at it. The cloud comes. There's the touching. Imagine you touching upon a son. And he says, I love you. This is my beloved son. I love you. And whom I am well pleased. And then he says, listen to him. Listen to him. Why do you want to listen to him? Because he is all authority. What the father is doing is he's speaking a blessing upon the son. Now, I can't come. And scholars, have, theologians have debated for thousands of years. How do you really um, explain the father, son, and Holy Spirit? The father, God is one in three entities through the father, son, and Holy Spirit. But Jesus in his humanity needed the father and he speaks this blessing over him. And I think from that day on, Jesus has set his focus towards Jerusalem. I can go to the cross. You, you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, this is a blessing. Now, let me say something to earthly dads and moms. I would encourage you, I don't care how old your kids are, to be able to speak blessing over them. To touch them. To be able to look at eyeball to eyeball. Listen, we're all screwed up. We don't need to focus on screw-ups. We need to focus on the, what we see in our children to be able to say, I love you, and I see this in you, and I'm proud of you, and I see where you're going. And this is vital, parents. I think, it, I think we live in a day where kids are trying to find their identity in so many different things when they could find their identity in Christ through you by blessing them. And Jesus received that blessing from the Father. So we see it from Peter, James, and John's point of view. We see it from Jesus' point of view. But how do you and I fit in? Here's the practical application for us today. How do you and I fit in to this? Three things. Number one is this. God wants all people to see Jesus only. At the end of this, Encounter on the mountain, when the cloud came down, the voice spoke. Peter, James, and John were terrified. They were fearful. You know the, you know the most repeated commandment in all of Scripture? Fear not. Fear not. Because they were terrified. They were probably hugging the ground as, as deep as they could. And then all of a sudden, this experience fades he, uh, um, Elijah and Moses are gone. The cloud is gone. And they look up and all they see is Jesus. Listen, people are looking for life and everything today. And it's in Jesus alone. God wants all people to see that it's Jesus only. It's not Jesus and my good works. It's not Jesus and money. It's not Jesus and relationships. You see, so many people are trying to fill this incredible Void that our brokenness has brought. So we think this. If, 
if I can get enough status in my life, right? If I can just know enough people, if I can get status, then I will be fulfilled. Only to see that five minutes of fame leaves you a big old hole as, as, as before. So you think of this. I will make more money. You know, it's been said that money can't buy happiness, but all of us would like to prove that theory, right? And uh, so we think if I get enough money, then maybe I will be content and I will be happy only to see that it's just one dollar more than I need. One dollar more. It just leaves you wanting more. It's like drinking salt water. We still are thirsty. And so we keep grabbing for it. What about relationships? If I have the right relationships, then my life will be content. If I have the right wife, if my kids are in line, if, if I have friends, then everything is meant to be and I will be content and happy. And you know as well as I do, life is fickle and things change. And relationships can leave you hollow as well, even the best of families. Listen, it's Jesus only. Some people will say, well, don't you think all, all, all religions, all ways lead to God? Ultimately, everybody will stand before God someday. You make your choice on how you're going to go. All paths lead to God. But Jesus said, I am the only way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. You see, that's not talking about heaven. That's talking about that restoration of that relationship with your heavenly Father. You only come to that restoration of relationship through Jesus only. And that is what is so vital. A.W. Tozer, I love to read A.W. Tozer, but he said that there are basically three distinctive marks of the one who sees Jesus only. One, they are facing only one direction. Two, they, they can never turn back. And three, they no longer have plans of their own. It's Jesus only. What are you looking for today? Uh, you know, most of us look to Jesus because we don't want to go to hell someday. We want to go to heaven. But what about only in your life? The Lord of your life. There was a, there was a father who was watching after his preschool uh, son. Mom was going to do shopping. Dad had some things to do around the house. She said, would you keep Junior? Dad, you've been there, right? You play with them as long as you can, and then you're thinking, I've got things to do, and uh, maybe they can take care of themselves a minute. So the dad had this incredible idea. I looked over there, and there was the newspaper, and on the newspaper, there was a picture of the world, and he had this brilliant idea. So he cut it out, and then he took scissors, and he cut it into, like, puzzle pieces. And he put it, he kind of mixed it together, gave it to his son, and he said, here, go put that together. Now he's figuring he'll get bored with it eventually, he'll go do something else, and, and he's got time to watch the game or whatever he was going to do at that point. I mean, the kid wasn't gone hardly any time, and he's coming back, and he's got the picture of the world all put together. And he said, son, how in the world did you do that? And he said, well, dad... I noticed when you cut it out, there was a picture of man, of a man on the back side. And I knew if I could put the man together, then the world would come together. Listen, when we come together with Jesus only, we're able to understand this world. 
It's fallen, yeah. But we understand our role. We understand our purpose. We understand our worth of who God is. So number one, Jesus only. Number two is this. God wants his bride, the church, to become fully awake. To become fully awake. Notice in the scriptures that when Peter, James, and John became fully awake, they saw his glory. I believe today, we live in a day, especially the church in America and the church in the West, has fallen asleep. We've, we've slumbered. We've gotten, we, we've lost uh, a vitality in us. Oh yeah, there's a lot of action, but, it, but that true hunger for the things of God, I think we, we've let go to sleep. And the reason is, is because of apathy. Sometimes it's, you know, the reason you get into a slumber sometimes is because there's nothing coming against you and these kind of things for our, in our country for, for decades, for centuries, it's been, you know, godly nation and this kind of stuff. And then here's of late, we see that the darkness has just flooded in an incredible way, but we have kind of gone to sleep and we've kind of slumbered to say, okay, God, you fix it. And he's saying, I want my church, my bride to become fully awake. So you will see my glory. I think we live in a day where the world desperately needs to see a vibrant, alive, awakened church. And so often we have slumbered. We just go to it, but we dart it out in among people. Isaiah 64, 1 and 2. I love this passage. It says this. Oh, that you would rim the heavens and come down. He's, he's praying to God. Oh, that you would rim the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. Oh, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. So show yourself to your church that people take notice, not of us, but of how great God is. And I don't know what it takes Sometimes for us to get wakened up. But um, as, as a kid, and, and many of you got kids, and you understand what I'm talking about. You know, when there's an ant bed, you can't leave it alone. Uh, you know, I, I know the thought is, you tell your kids, don't get in there, those fire ants. And, and we all know what a fire ant could do. That's why we want to mess, mess it up. But, but, you know, a stick going into it or a rock in it or just kicking it or we do anything we can but if you've got a, just a mound of dirt, an ant pile, and there's no movement on it, you poke it, and you see how quickly it comes to life. I think we're getting poked today, but is the church going to arise? Are we going to rise? Are we going to be what God has called us to be? When God shows up, there's an awareness of our sin, there's a repentance, and there's, there's change. The Spirit moves. And the world notices there was a church and in their worship center, they had a banner and the banner was of a fire blazing. And all it said on it was this. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit come. But under the ban under the banner. There was a sign that said fire extinguisher. And I think oftentimes we want the fire, but we can be a fire extinguisher. We sang the song a while ago, and part of it was, who can stop the Lord Almighty? I want you to know you and I can stop the Lord. 
We can stop him just by our inattentiveness, by our worldliness, by our hanging on to what we want instead of what God wants. Third and last one is this. God wants his children to be transformed. God wants his children to be transformed. If his spirit abides in us, then we can be transformed, not conformed. Conformed means an outward, a masquerade. Transformed means your heart changed. And we live in a day when we desperately need a heart change. Not holding to a form of religiosity or a form of behavior. Many of us are acting like Christians, but we're not being Christians. There's a difference. We, we, we see, uh, we see our faith instead of a living, vibrant, Holy Spirit living it out of His faith. We start doing rules and regulations and I go to church and I do this and we do this and we're exhausted. We think, where's the joy of the Lord in this instead of His Spirit who is joy flowing out of us and His love flowing out of us? Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 16 through 18 says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And get this in verse 18. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed as we glance upon him as we gaze upon him we become transformed and and for some of you this is new stuff you became a christian and when you became a christian somebody gave you a bible and they said come to church and you came to church and then they said this is how you act this is what you do this is the 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 standard of what you need to do if you're good then you need to be good and and no if you're bad you need to repent of being bad and you need to be good still doing it works. Instead of yielding to His Holy Spirit, who we believe comes and abides inside of you, it's yielding yourself, God, I cannot do this on my own. I will fall every time, God. I will mess up every time. I'm broken. I need Your Spirit to live this out of me. Let me love as You love. Let me have the joy as You want me to have it. The fruit of the Spirit to live it out of me is what I desire. God wants us to be transformed. John Patton was a missionary out of Scotland. And in the latter half of the 1850s, he died in 1907, but in the latter part of the 1850s is when he ministered. He went to the New Hebrides, and he went there with his wife. Now, back in those days in the New Hebrides was an area that was very pagan, the people were so um, so messed up, cannibalism, uh, just the pagan ritualistic stuff that went with that. And he and his wife go to begin their ministry there. They hadn't been there too long, and his wife gave birth to a child. In childbirth, the wife died, and 36 days later, the child was going to die, and John was going to be left alone. But one of the things he had to do there, just because of the the paganness of these people. He had to sleep on his wife's grave so that they would not come to take her body to eat it. 
It was that sick of an environment. John Patton left the New Hebrides. He went back to Scotland. He eventually remarried and he went back to the New Hebrides. And when he went back there, he went back there with an earnest seal of the Lord. Not only for them to, uh, uh, he believed that the gospel was life change and transformation, but to teach them what that really meant. And what happened is, is slowly by slowly, he gave the rest of his life there and the transformation was incredible. Listen, I believe God wants to transform. If he can take cannibals and turn them into Christ followers, he can take you and I. And transform us. He wants us to be new creations. Some of you may be new and you're thinking, Mark, this isn't what I grew up with. This isn't what I understood about church. Well, this is the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. For you that took notes, Jesus only, fully awake, become transformed. I end with this. Because I, I want to give you a, a quick geographical lesson. You won't remember it. But, but the point will be really good. In Israel, I told you about the north, Caesarea Philippi, Mount Hermon. That is where the Jordan River begins. Those are the springs that start the Jordan River, okay? The Jordan River, I'll just do it on my body. My head's Mount Hermon. The Jordan River flows all the way down Israel. Okay, and there are two bodies of water that that are in Israel. One is called the Sea of Galilee. Oh man, for you that have gone Sea of Galilee, I could stay out there forever. I mean, it's fresh water. They fish. It's just beautiful. Jesus walked on it. I mean, it's just incredible the way it is. So you've got these springs coming out of Mount Hermon. They go into the Sea of Galilee. And then they come out of the Sea of Galilee and they go down to Dead Sea. Dead Sea, you can get in the Dead Sea. You can't swim. You can't even walk in it because you just float. Your body just automatically, the salt level is so incredible there. Nothing is alive. There's no life at all. There's some minerals, but there is no life. What makes the difference? Here's the spring waters. And they come out. What makes the difference between one that's teeming with life and one that is dead? Well, it's the outflow. The springs come. Springs come from Mount Hermon. They go into the Sea of Galilee. They come out of the Sea of Galilee, but they come into the Dead Sea and there's no escaping, so it's stagnant. Here's the deal. I think Jesus has given an incredible picture here on Mount Hermon when he's there with the disciples that he is the living water. He is coming forth with that living water and he is flowing out from there. The question is, are we going to be a Sea of Galilee or are we going to be a Dead Sea? Listen, if all your faith is just about you and how you can cling to it, that you're going to go to heaven someday and you're not going to go to hell, that's what it's all about. I'm telling you, you are a stagnant believer. But if your faith is one of the Holy Spirit coming and God bringing His living waters into you and you're willing to go and dispense that to a desperate world, to your desperate neighbors, your desperate classmates, your desperate people, if you're willing to do that, then you will see life. I promise you. I want to pray with you. I want to pray that the Spirit of God would speak to you today. I am praying for an outpouring of God. Thank you.